Welcome back to Agent Investor, inspiring stories of active agents investing in real estate and building passive income. In a business where potential deals are all around you, why not leverage your skills to invest for yourself, your family, and your future? And now, let's jump into the latest episode of Agent Investor. Welcome, everybody, to Agent Investor, the only brand that helps real estate agents get off that real estate roller coaster. And as you all know, I was just like you back when I first started. I was a real estate agent with my income going up and down and up and down. And it wasn't until I did my first real estate investing deal, a deal in Somerville, Massachusetts, where I netted $115,000 with a seller who told me that she absolutely did not want to list her house, that my real estate investing career and really my life completely changed. Uh, since then, since my first real estate deal in 2009, I fixed and flipped over 1,200 homes. I've bought over 300 uh, rental properties. I've raised over $20 million of private capital. And in addition to all of that, we are in the process of building over 250 apartment units. And in fact, that's going to be the topic for today. I'm going to tell you guys the real reason that we ended up switching from owning a bunch of small multifamily real estate in the greater Boston area to switching to apartments. And it may not be the reason that you guys are thinking about. Uh, so stick around and make sure that you listen to the entire thing because this could potentially set your entire trajectory of your real estate investing career in a different direction. And a lot of the stuff that I'm going to be talking about today are things that I wish I knew in the beginning phases of my real estate career. Things I didn't know, things I couldn't have known because I didn't have the experience, but that's why you guys are here because you're going to be able to listen to all of my stories and all of my experiences. And of course, help you make the best decision for what makes sense for you and your life and your business. Um, so today I'm going to talk really briefly about small multifamily, some of the horror stories that we had, and ultimately at the end of the day, like why we're moving into apartments and why we believe that hands down, bar none, they are the best asset class of choice. So I have to go back to kind of the beginning you know, stages of my real estate career period. Um, I was somebody who, you know, grew up poor, uh, always wanted to make money, always wanted to be successful, always wanted to be put in a good financial position. So like many people that are on this call, I was told, get a good job, go to school, you know, work your way up the corporate ladder. And, and I was doing that. I was, I was on my path towards doing that. Um, I was pre-med, then I became a CPA, was working my way up the corporate ladder. But it wasn't until I read the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, in 2003, that I decided that I wanted to become a real estate investor. Now, I love that book. Uh, most of you, you know, who have been paying attention or listening to me know that I love that book, know that that's how my investing career started. Um, and I think there are a lot of really good principles about in that book. But one thing that I didn't love, and one thing that I think really should be mentioned is the fact that that book kind of highlights that you buy a rental property, you hire a property manager, you kind of close your eyes and you have monthly passive income 
coming in every single month. And you can kind of just sit back, relax, be on vacation, be anywhere in the world. And you don't necessarily have to worry about that property. And that is the premise of Rich Dad, Poor Dad. It's also in the premise of the book, Cash Flow Quadrant. And they really just talk about the fact that you need to be looking specifically for cash flow. You need to buy assets that have positive cash flow on day one, then hire a really good property manager, and that's your job. I'm going to tell you kind of what the reality of that is. Um, And most of you who know me know I'm a pretty fairly positive person, but I am going to tell you guys some of the horror stories that we had kind of, uh, you know, following that high level guidance. Um, So we we ended up, you know, doing that and we ended up, um, most of you know, we were home investors franchisees in the very beginning and we were out there always looking for off market discounted deals, some that we would buy and hold, some that we would flip. And we followed the strategy that I, I taught recently at our two-day event, which is that we would you know, buy three and, and keep one or buy four and keep one. And we would always be out there looking for a small multifamily real estate. And we would buy it at a discount. We would generate leads off market. We would generate face-to-face seller appointments off market. And we would fix and flip or wholesale and assign to make quick cash. And with that quick cash, we would turn around and we would buy a small multifamily that we would, you know, buy and, and rent out and manage. And I remember in the early phases of, um, you know, our business back in 2009, we had a goal of having, I think it was 100 units or, or somewhere kind of in that vicinity. And, you know, we our, our main thing, going back to the premise of the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad and Cash Flow Quadrant, was that we wanted to buy assets that were cash flow positive. That was the main focus. Now, I, I know some of the listeners that are on here are in different areas of the country. Different areas areas of the country have different dynamics. They have different price points. They have different things to them. But I will just kind of say this for those of you who are not in the greater Boston market. The greater Boston market, and when I'm saying that, I include anywhere you know up to two hours from Boston, um, it's almost impossible to cash flow on anything but multifamily real estate, um, especially in recent years. But even going back to when the market was down, Greater Boston is not really a buy a condo, buy a single family, and cash flow type of area. So we started with that big overriding principle that said we had to be cash flow positive on day one. And even when the market was down in 08, 9, 10, 11, you really couldn't find any assets that were cash flow positive that were single families or condos. Now I know again, for the people that are on this call that are, you know, in different parts of the country, that may be different where you're at, but a lot of the principles I'm going to talk about today don't matter. But just keep in mind when I talk about saying small multifamily real estate, I'm talking about buying, you know, two family properties, three family properties, four family properties, small multifamily. Okay, so we're just defining that. So we would go out there and we would look for these properties anywhere within maybe 90 minutes, you know, of Boston. We would do our marketing campaigns. We would do mailers and pay-per-click and, you know, calls and emails and just everything that we could do to get under an asset for a discounted rate. And we would, you know, again, flip some of them for quick cash, and then we would hold some of them. So we had a goal of getting 100 units in the beginning or 150 units in the beginning. 
And we just kept kind of building. So we, we started out slow, like most people do. And, you know, when we had down payments for properties, we would buy one. And when, when we, you know, built up enough equity in a deal to refi and cash, take cash out and maybe, you know, roll it into another property, we would do that. So again, we started out with the principal rich dad, poor dad of saying, Hey, I guess it really doesn't matter, you know, where you're buying properties or when you're buying properties or how you're buying properties or what the makeup of those properties are, as long as they're cash flow positive on day one. So lesson number one that we learned in part of our kind of horror stories is location matters. So one thing that we did not think about, and one of the reasons why we are now focused on 50 to 100 unit apartment buildings is we were looking within a radius of about two hours of Boston. And we didn't care where it was as long as the cash flowed. So mistake number one that we made in horror, horror, you know, lesson that we learned, number one, is that while a property manager might say, hey, yeah, I can handle any sort of property, no matter where they're geographically located, they have to be able to get to those properties. They need to be able to collect rents. They need to be able to make that drive in a moment's notice. And we were buying properties again within about a 90 minute radius of where we were geographically located. Now, point number two as to why we had to do that. So again, this is market specific, but again, I, I can guarantee that this is true pretty much anywhere you know in the country that there are certain pockets of areas that cash flow and there are cer certain pockets of areas that don't cash flow. So again, the principle of rich dad, poor dad or cash flow quadrant basically says you need to cash, be positive cash flow on day one, doesn't really say what types of areas you should be buying in, you know, whether there's distress there or not distress there. And what we found, even when the market was down in the greater Boston market, for the most part, in order to cash flow, you had to go into these C and D neighborhoods. Like if you're if you're rating properties, you know A class, B class, C class, and D class. I'm gonna I'm gonna basically call, you know, A class either new construction or really nice area. B class basically kind of like you know working class, decent areas. C class kind of in that you know lower, and D class kind of more almost like dangerous or you know you wouldn't feel comfortable going there at dark type of areas. So what we did, we focused on cash flow, kind of like the book said, and we bought in a lot of these areas that were we and the best areas we bought in were C class, and the worst areas that we bought in were D class. Nothing in that book basically said, hey, you know, you really cash flow is is important, but where you're geographically buying these properties matters. To try to you know make this as G rated as possible. I, and and he'll probably be more like like uh, you know R rated or at at, at least PG thirteen rated. The amount of police incidents that we had, you know, throughout owning these properties, and we we own these. We got our rental units up to close to three hundred units, and we own these all over the place throughout Greater Boston. And the amount of of days in the week that we got police reports, police calls, was absolutely crazy. So the, uh, the other thing that the location doesn't really teach you, like, like they don't teach you in Rich Dad, Poor Dad, they don't talk about in Cash Flow Quadrant, is what it's like when somebody doesn't pay you. So this is the stuff, the difference between being kind of like a spreadsheet warrior and reading a book versus real life. 
Because when, when you look, like if you read a book or any real estate investing book, they're going to say, hey, okay, you know, here's a pro forma, put in your total rents that you're going to collect, put in maybe a 5% or 10% vacancy rate. And I've heard people, you know, especially in New England will say, well, 10% is way too much. We're never going to have any vacancies. But what they don't factor in and what these C and D type of properties have is what happens? What do you do when a tenant doesn't pay you and then you have to evict them? So this is this is the part where you can you can have a spreadsheet and your spreadsheet can work work really well and you can say hey I'm okay dealing with C and D class neighborhoods maybe you feel comfortable in those areas maybe you're not scared to go and collect rents okay fine but what happens when that person doesn't pay you and again I don't want to make this a local market thing but I'm giving you guys kind of some horror stories of what you need to think about when this stuff is happening and when you're buying assets, because if you're buying assets in areas where you're likely to have to evict people, you have to factor that into your cost. And frankly, we didn't in the beginning, we didn't factor that in at all. And I will tell you that in nearly all of these properties that we bought with existing tenants, almost a hundred percent, call it at least 80 plus percent, of the buildings that we bought with existing tenants, we ended up having to evict 80% of the people that were in those buildings. Now think about that on a pro forma and a quote, quote unquote, air quotations, cash flow basis. So you might be positive on a three family in greater Boston, $1,000 a month, but what happens when all three of the people aren't paying you? Then you might think in your head, well, what are the odds that all three aren't gonna pay? And I thought the same thing. I think so. Thought, well, geez, like you're you're not going to have too many occasions where all three people aren't paying you. Oh, actually, yes, you will in a C and a D type type property. And the the difficulty, depending on what market you're in, but I'm speaking for us in Massachusetts, is that the, the, from the time that you actually take over that property to the day that you can evict that tenant, on average, is about a year. Now that doesn't call, you know, we're talking about calling into into to account the fact that you have lost rent. What about the potential damage to that property that that person can do? And this is a lesson that we kind of learned the hard way. Hey everyone, this is Tom Caffarella. I want to quickly interrupt the podcast to number one, thank all of my loyal listeners of the Asian Investor Podcast and tell you guys really quickly about an exciting event we have coming up. Uh, It's a two-day event. It's called the Passive Income Real Estate Investor Event um, that you can find out more details at PassiveIncomeEvent.com. We're going to be doing a two-day training session teaching all of the agents and all of the investors at the event on how to achieve financial freedom through real estate. If you're like me and your goal is to not work 80, 100 hours a week grinding, selling real estate, flipping homes, um, definitely check out this event. We're going to teach you how to build a passive income portfolio so that you can retire, so that you can work when you want, how you want, and ultimately achieve financial freedom. So again, go to PassiveIncomeEvent.com for more details. And we look forward to seeing you at the upcoming event you know, a horror story type thing 
that I want everybody to kind of be aware of. And again, this is all like, why did we do apartments? Like, why did we make this switch? Why did we make this switch? But we had, we had evictions that took two years, that took three years. And you might say, well, well, why did it take two years or three years? It really depends on what ends up happening when you go in front of a judge, right? Somebody could have an issue. They could be disabled. They could have an actual problem where maybe they're having a hard time finding, finding a place. At the end of the day, the judge makes the decision, okay, we're going to put the tenant first. Now, whether we believe that that's right or wrong doesn't really matter. It's just a fact, right? So if we were to buy a small multifamily, when we kind of learned this lesson the hard way, we would only buy them with, with vacant units. Now, that again brings me to like, where are we at today? Where are we at in 2023 as the time of recording of this podcast? In most cases, you can't get a vacant building anymore. When we were buying these properties and we were buying them in 08, 9, 10, 11, 12, and the buildings had been foreclosed upon and they had been vacant for a couple of years, those were actually the easy situations where we could go in, we could put a ton of money into the property, and we could we could pick and choose the tenants that we were putting in there. So we were in a much better position than we were when we actually had to inherit tenants that were in there. Again, this is like the difference between, you know, what you might read in a book or what is in a spreadsheet versus reality. And reality is, is that if you're taking over a building that has existing tenants in C and D areas, you're probably going to be in for a world of pain. Let me just say right now, right now before you, that it doesn't mean that if you buy them in A and B areas that you're not going to have any problems. It's just the probability. Again, there's no scientific formula on how to do this, but if there's two buildings kind of side by side, one of the, them is a, a D building, one of them is a B building, and the D building makes $1,000 a month and the B building makes $300 a month, when you actually project out what is going to happen over the course of the next year, the B building might actually really cash flow more when you factor in all of these nightmarish situations. And when I say nightmarish situations, like I'm talking... And again, I don't mean to be gruesome here, but I mean, we've had people that have been murdered in the units that we own. And this brings me to kind of another point related to just investing in general, which is that I do believe investing is for everybody. I think real estate investing is for every single person, but there definitely is a difference between being an active investor and a passive investor. And for some people, depending on your financial situation, what your goals are, and whether or not you have the stomach for some of this stuff, you may actually, it may make more sense for you to be completely passive and invest in deals like ours or other types of syndications. Like, again, going back, this is the whole theme of today is like, why do we switch to apartments? You know, one of the reasons, again, was that we had buildings all over the place. So we had to buy them in areas that cash flowed. The areas that cash flowed were in areas that were all over the place. We found that we ended up buying them in C&D neighborhoods. We had a lot of evictions we had to go through. We had a lot of damage that we had to go through. And going back to the passivity, right? When we read one of these books and they talk about passive income, what do we think about? We think about owning a bunch of buildings, having the proper property management, and being on a beach or being somewhere enjoying ourselves and not having to deal with hassle and headache. In reality, what we get 
we could still be on that beach and we could have a property manager dealing with the problems, but you might be getting three or four phone calls a day from serious stuff, right? Stuff that you don't want to hear. And you're going to have to have, you know, good attorneys for this stuff and again, have a stomach for this type of stuff. So what are the other reasons that we switched, you know, from small multifamily to apartments? Another one of the main reasons is just the fact that the buildings in our market, okay, greater Boston in general, we talked about the fact that we have to buy multifamily buildings. Like we can't buy single families. We really can't buy condos and cash flow in our market. So we have to buy multifamilies. One thing that we learned the hard way, you know, early on in the business is that these buildings, even when you renovate, renovate them, are 100 years old. And I could throw out, you know, any multifamily in Boston or outside of Boston, and you would say, well, when was it built? You would be lucky to have a building that was built 1940 or after. You'd be really lucky. And in most cases, you can't find them. So what does that mean? What does it mean when you have a building that was built in 1910? Well, if you have a building that was built in 1910, it means that even though you may be ready, willing, and able to renovate that property, three or four years later, it's probably going to need more work. I have kind of a sad story that happened to me the other day. One of our, our first flips in Revere that we ever did when we first started we, we did everything to it. This was our baby. Like even I did manual labor to this property. This was the only house that I ever did manual labor to, but it was like the first one. We wanted it to be perfect. And, and uh, you know, I was there sweeping, doing all the manual stuff. Not that, not that I'm against it, doing manual labor. I just am not good at it, but I was there. I was doing it. This was our baby. We put a bunch of money into the property. I think we put a hundred thousand dollars into the property back in, 2009, 2010, I drove by that property the, the other day and I was like, geez, that property looks like it needs $100,000 again. And it's because that property is 100 years old, right? So what we found in terms of passivity is that these buildings that are 100 years old, it's hard just from a labor perspective from them to, for them to be passive because they always need work. Okay. So again, think about like our goal was to get to a hundred units. And if we were doing it three families at a time, that meant we needed 33 buildings. Okay. 33 buildings that we had that were all spread out within 90 minutes of each other, 30 buildings where a roof needs to be replaced every 20 years. Well, guess what? That means you're going to be replacing two roofs a year. Okay. 30 buildings, meaning that you have 30 lawns to cut, 30 buildings, meaning that when it snows, you've got a massive problem. So again, when we think about like, what is the outcome that we actually want? And now this is a little bit pie in the sky. This is never 100% reality. But what our objective is and what we think is, hey, as humans, we want to work less. We want to have an easy, a relatively easy life. And so we want to buy assets that don't require this maintenance, right? That are not stressful. But then what do we do, right? We read a book, you know, like A Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and it tells us, hey, just go after these properties, the cash flow, make sure your cash flow positive on day one. Doesn't matter how many units you get, 
Uh, it doesn't matter whether you're buying them in C or D neighborhoods, just get a really good property manager. So what does it become? After you get up to that 100 units, you're going to be the one that's dealing with everything else. Like you're the one that's going to be getting the calls when anything goes wrong. You're the one that's going to be getting the calls when work needs to be done to the property. Decisions need to be done to the property. Hey, do you want to replace the roof? Do you not want to replace the roof? Hey, what action are you going to take when a tenant's not paying? Are you going to evict them? Okay, if you're going to evict them, then you have to hire the attorney and you have to be the one that's dealing with all that stuff. Um, and I do want to make a couple more points about small multifamily, which is another reason why we ended up making the move into apartments. And then I'm going to talk a little bit about apartments, why I think that everybody should be invested in them, why I wish that I skipped to apartments in the beginning phases of my career. So the other reason that we ended up switching to apartments from small multifamily is the fact that there are no good multifamily deals anymore. We buy discounted properties each and every week. We buy two to three discounted homes every single week. And when I talk about the numbers of something being a deal, I usually think about, okay, you're buying a property for less than fair market value. And that's all well and good when you're talking about flipping. You know, if you buy a three family for $700,000 that's worth a million dollars today, that's really, really good because that $700,000 property that's worth a million dollars today, you can turn around tomorrow and you can make a big, quick hit of income. However, that doesn't mean that even though you bought that property below fair market value, that it cash flows well. So I'll give you kind of some real life examples of what this looks like. And again, why we decided that we were no longer going to buy small multifamily real estate. So when we first started, and it was 2009, 2010, we would buy three family buildings in and around the greater Boston area for under $200,000. Yes, you know, you are hearing that right. If you're in our market right now, you're saying, wow, like I can't even believe that exists. Well, look up pretty much any town that has, you know, three families in and around the greater Boston area, putting into the MLS and put the year 2010 and sold. And look at what those properties sold for. You're going to be blown away. So when we were accumulating this war chest of multifamily properties, even though they were in C and D areas, they were definitely cash flowing and they were definitely at the right price points. Compare that to today, the exact same uh, three-family in and around the greater Boston area is now literally four times that. Like to get a property, a three-unit in and around the greater Boston area for under seven dollars or $800,000 at this point is almost unheard of. So we got to a point probably somewhere around 2016, 2017, where we were looking even at getting these properties at 20% discounts and saying, I don't really know if this makes a lot of sense. And the reason being is because where are the asset values going to go over the long haul? And number two, that the cash flow numbers just started to get a lot tighter. If you're out there right now, especially if you're looking on the multiple listing service and you're looking for a great deal that you can hang on to, that's a two unit, a three unit, a four unit over the long haul, you are going to have a very challenging time. When you combine the fact that number one, 
these small multifamily buildings are difficult to manage because they always require maintenance because they're older, right? Then you combine the fact that the values are very high right now. They barely cash flow or some of them are negative cash flow. When you look at the fact that you have to buy them in C and D areas in order to make them work, when you combine all of these things that I just talked about over the last 10 or 15 minutes, you go, geez, like, is it a good time to buy an asset like this right now? And now you all know, like, I'm a huge proponent of buying assets, of investing in real estate. And my answer to this is, is in general. I look at it from two perspectives. The first is the only way that it makes sense to buy one of these small multifamilies, you know, a, a, a two to eight unit building, any anywhere near kind of where we're at, the only way it makes sense is if you have a very, very long-term horizon. Like you have a 15-year horizon, a 20-year horizon, a 25-year horizon, a 30-year horizon. And one of the reasons for that is because of the fact that when you're accumulating these assets, you want the values to go up over time so that you can pull equity to buy more assets. And that's the last part that I haven't covered, but I'm just going to mention that quickly. One of the reasons why we got so much acceleration in our business and have been able to kind of grow the way that we have and had the success that we had, and this was just being fortunate, but one of the reasons is because over the course of time, our asset values of these buildings have gone up and we've been able to pull equity lines off of these properties to use as down payments for other properties. Now, again, compare that to today for small multifamily. Do you feel really confident that if you if you buy you know, a three unit in the greater Boston area for a million bucks, that it's going to be worth one, three or one, four in the next two to three years? And if the answer to that is no, you're again adding another negative component to small multifamily. So with all of that being said, you know, three or four years ago when we were realizing all of this and we're very active in the market, we, we see all this stuff, we study it, you know, we network and we really think through how we invest. We said, hey, there's got to be a better way. There has to be a better way to do this. But what is that better way? So what we ended up deciding to do was we decided that we were going to sell all of our small multifamily and push into apartments. And I'm going to go over the reasons for that. And, and I want to mention kind of, you know, what I what I think that a lot of people should consider now. Okay, so the, the first thing is that compared to the small multifamily, the apartment buildings that we're doing right now, they're either new construction or almost new construction. When I say almost new construction, like we're, we're taking a mill building and we're converting it into apartments in Nashua, New Hampshire. So... We are getting the benefit there instead of owning a, an asset that's 100 years old, right? We're owning an asset that's zero years old, right? So if you think about owning, you know, a 70 unit, like our latest deal is in Hookset, New Hampshire. If you think about owning a 70 unit building in Hookset, New Hampshire, that's brand new, who, what is the type of quality of tenant that you're going to be able to attract with a building that was just built versus a three unit building that 
you maybe just updated or maybe didn't just update it. Maybe you didn't update it because you couldn't put the money in because then it wouldn't cash flow. By the way, um, I'm going to stop just for one second. If any of you are interested in jumping on a call with me and talking through your investment strategy or asking me questions directly, make sure that you register for our inner circle call at www.agentinvestorinnercircle.com. Again, that's www.agentinvestorinnercircle.com. When you register for that call, you're going to come onto the call and we're going to have a conversation with you about where you're at today, specifically with investing, where you want to go, and a strategy that's specific for you. When I'm on you know, a podcast or a live stream like this, it's very challenging to go into detail. In fact, I can't go into detail with any of you about your specific situation. So while I am giving my experience and global advice, I also just want to make sure that you all know a very specific, right? A very specific investing plan is what each and every person needs. So by jumping on that inner circle call, which is completely free, you will leave that call with a very specific plan for you. Go to www.agentinvestorinnercircle.com. Don't feel like as you're listening to this that you need to retain everything. Don't feel like you need every question answered right now. Jump on that call, www.agentinvestorinnercircle.com, so we can talk more specifically about your situation. So we talked about the fact that these new apartments that we're doing, they are new construction. And because they're newer, you know, they're going to be easier to find better tenants. When I say better, I mean people that pay, people that respect the property. The other reason that we like apartments and we're very big advocates of apartments is just the fact that you have 70 units or 88, the, the last two buildings that we're working on, 88 units and 70 units, all under one roof, right? So again, compare the 70 unit to 70 units of three families. You're talking about the difference between 30 roofs, right? Maybe 20 to 30 roofs versus one roof. Uh, we're talking about the difference between, well, when do you need to replace the windows on the new construction? Well, maybe like 20 or 30 years from now versus you buy a 100-year-old building, you're probably replacing a window or two every single year. The other major difference we talked about in the beginning, one of the negatives and the harsh stories that we had with owning these multifamilies is that they were all spread out all over the place. And we were kind of really foolish about it. I mean, some of ours were spread out, you know, 90 minutes from one another. But even if you try to do the very best job that you can and you do a good job and making sure they're within maybe like two or three towns, you are still having to drive to all of those towns. You are still having to snowplow all of those towns, all of those different places, right? Compared to what we're going to have with these apartment buildings, which is on-site property management. Somebody that actually lives in the unit that's there 24-7, 365. And then you just have all, all of the other basic things like having, you know, the right amenities in a building, having modern things like, you know, automatic locks, like, you know, having a, a place for you know, a pet, you know, dog area, like just all things that tenants who are going to be more respectful of your property and are going to be more likely to pay you are going to want, right? So we have all of these different things combined that just said, hey, if we can start pushing into apartments, we can have newer buildings, we can have them managed easier, they're all in one place. 
we can have them in not C and D areas, but more like A or at worst, you know, A minus B plus areas. The other thing that we found is that the cash flow is higher. And it, if you kind of think about it logically, it makes sense. When you think about the average multifamily anywhere, right, any part of the United States, let's say it's a three unit property and, and it's somewhere in the United States as of right now, who are the people that are buying that property? You might think, okay, well, of course, if they're, you know, of course, if they're buying a multifamily, if they're buying two units or four units or six units, it's going to be an investor. But we all know as real estate agents that in a lot of cases, the people that are actually buying these properties aren't. And a lot of times the people that are buying these properties aren't investors, but they're actually people that are first-time home buyers that are living in one unit and renting out the other two. Well, why would somebody do that if they could own you know, a single family? Well, in a lot of cases, unfortunately, where the market's at today, some of these people can't afford to buy a single family with how high uh, single family prices are. So they're getting approved for higher prices when they factor in counting the rents. So one of the major issues that investors are running into that I didn't have to deal with in the beginning is the fact that you are competing with first-time homebuyers. That's a major problem because guess what? You're never going to beat a first-time homebuyer on price, right? A first-time homebuyer can always pay more than you on one of these multifamilies. And what we found when we kind of combined all of the elements that you need in order to do these apartments, it's hard for a regular average everyday person to compete. So I'll talk about like the 70 unit that we're raising capital for in Hookset, New Hampshire right now. So in this example, number one, we needed to find the deal, right? So, so we, we were lucky enough that that deal was actually forwarded to us by somebody in the inner circle that we're going to be partnered with on this deal. And we're working with that particular person on this deal, but it was a great deal. The deal made a lot of sense. But in order to do the deal, we needed to raise, we need to raise $7 million of capital, which is what I'm doing right now. Like I'm literally in the process of raising $7 million of capital for this particular deal. You also need the ability to pull off this new construction project. So when you actually think about all of the components you needed, you needed a really great off-market deal. Right? We were lucky enough that an inner circle member brought that to us. You also needed $7 million of capital. We're fortunate enough to be able to be out there and known enough and have a reputation enough to be able to raise that money. And then you need to be able to pull off that project, which again, we've done so many transactions that we're fortunate enough to be able to pull off the construction. When you add together the tons of money, the finding the deal and the, um, and the construction expertise, it, it leaves a lot of people out. Well, that's all you know, good and well, but of course, most of you who are jumping on right now are probably thinking, well, you know, where does that leave me? Because maybe I don't have $7 million. You probably don't have $7 million. Maybe you don't have that type of construction expertise. Maybe you've done no properties or maybe you've done small renovation properties. Maybe you want to be qualified to get that type of loan Maybe you don't have that type of deal put in front of you, right? So for a lot of people that are on this call, like what do I, you know, what do I think? What do I suggest? The first thing is I think you need to look. I, I, I don't think the answer is to not invest. I, I really don't. I think one thing to think about is whether or not if you're going to do small multifamily, 
do you have 15 or 20 or 25 years? Do you have that long of a horizon where buying some of these things, even though maybe they're they're not a great purchase now, by just having time, they'll eventually turn into a, a deal. Now, I'm still not necessarily a huge advocate of going that route, but I think for some people that might make sense. And again, how do you know what makes sense for you? I mean, to me, the best way is to jump on one of these inner circle calls by going to www.agentinvestorinnercircle.com and scheduling a time to talk with me because maybe, maybe investing in small multifamily still might be the right thing for you. You just need to do it the right way. Or if small multifamily doesn't necessarily make sense for you, then we've got a couple other options. The first option is to invest passively with us. So why would you invest into a deal with our team? By investing with us, you're going to get a great rate of return. So for people um, who want just a really good rate of return, that is, that is a good way to be invested with us, whether you have money in an IRA, a stock account, a bank account, whatever. But the second and probably more important reason is that you can actually ride shotgun with us on these deals, right? These deals are, are typically a couple of years in time. And you're going to be able to see exactly how a deal like this is put together. So by investing passively with us, even if it's a small amount, you're going to be able to see how a deal like this is put together. Again, I mentioned in the beginning that I wish that I just cut out all the small multifamily and I wish I went to apartments. Well, how would I have done that? Like hindsight being 2020. And the way that I would have done it and the way that I would recommend doing it, if you hear everything about apartments and you're like, wow, I think I do want to go in that direction. To me, the first thing to do would be to invest in a deal like this and a deal like ours with somebody that you trust, with somebody that you want to work with, with somebody that's going to give you a decent rate of return, but also somebody that you can learn from, right? Somebody that you can actually, you know, learn the business from. And then the second component to that would be like, okay, that's going to, that's going to be one thing to do. The second thing I would recommend doing is getting as educated as possible in the apartment space. There are ways to do deals, even if you don't have all of these components. So I always talk about, you know, at agent investor events on the podcast and in person that there are three components to a great deal. The first is finding the deal. The second is the money. And the third is the construction. For most real estate agents that are listening right now, usually the construction is the one that to do, you know, a 70, 80 unit building, having not done one is typically out of reach. So maybe you don't have the construction expertise, but most real estate agents have the choice to either look for the really great deals or to be a capital raiser. Now, I mentioned kind of in the onset of this uh, episode that I've raised over $20 million of capital. And, you know, I'm probably not necessarily like a professional capital raiser. It's not like not ever what I thought of myself as. And I'm sure I'm not the best at it, but that's actually a good thing because I've been able to raise $20 million without being the best, without having, without doing it full time. Talking about those three things that you need to get good at, the construction, the raising of the money, and the finding the deal, as agents, you have to think, well, as long as you can be one of those three, either a deal finder or capital raiser or really good at managing construction, 
you can work your way into these apartment deals. These apartment deals are not, so one major difference between small multifamily and apartment deals, small multifamilies are pretty much for the most part, a solo sport. You know, maybe you have a partner, maybe you have two partners, but usually not. It's usually a solo thing. Whereas these apartment deals, if you kind of like line them up and you say, what are all the components of, of the people that are in, in apartment deals? Well, you've got people putting in money, you got the deal finders, you got the construction team, and they're typically all in some way have some ownership interest. Like the, the 88 unit that we, we did in Nashua, New Hampshire, we actually partnered with an inner circle member, Michael Favor. And Mike found this 88 unit in Nashua, New Hampshire. It was a deal he wanted to do. He came to us and he said, guys, hey, would you be interested in partnering on this deal? I'm just giving you guys all examples, but he, he said, would you want to partner on this deal? So we looked at the deal. We really liked the deal. He brought the deal and he wanted to be cut into the deal. So he also had construction expertise. So the deal that we had with him was, you found the deal, you're going to help manage the construction, and we're going to get the money. Whether we put in our own money or we raise the money, and a lot of you who have been following me know that we did you know, a $4 million raise into that deal, into the Hangar Project in Nashua, New Hampshire. So with that being said, you know, Mike, just as a deal finder, was able to get into that deal. So just all kind of stuff that, you know, each and every one of you, you know, should be thinking about. And again, I can't teach you everything about apartment investing in a, you know, 45, 50 minute segment. I can't teach you everything about, you know, small multifamily in a small segment. And I, I just caution everybody as much as possible that this stuff is all individualized. So you're listening to this right now and you're wondering, like, how does this it fit into my life, if at all, right? And again, like, you know, we offer this free resource. It's the reason that I do calls. It's the reason I do the inner circle calls because I've kind of learned the hard way that there's not a one size fix all, fix all approach to investing. So I like to be able to ask individual questions to people about what they're trying to achieve, where they're at today, and help them come up with a plan that's specific to them. So again, if you haven't done so already, www.agentinvestorinnercircle.com. I hope that you put a, put a call on my calendar. I'd love to be able to talk to you individually um, about your situation. A couple of people have said they've got a call tomorrow. Looking forward to it. Yeah, you know, I love I love doing this stuff um, and finding out what ways that you know I can either help or work together with people that are on these calls. Um, having said that, guys, like investing is super important. Sales will make you a living. Investing will make you wealthy. There is almost no real estate agent that I've ever met that's become wealthy just by selling real estate. And of course, like there's somebody on this call that probably knows somebody and they're an outlier, but I do know hundreds of real estate investors that have become wealthy through investing. Um, the wind is at your back with investing, whereas as an agent, you're always struggling. Like I don't care how many houses you're selling, you are always on a hamster wheel, working, 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 working. And I'm a worker. I'm a worker. I got no problem with people working. I think working is great. But don't just work to work, right? Make sure that you're investing all along the way. If you're not all in the agent investor group, the Facebook group, I provide free coaching and training and mentorship even within that group. Make sure that you join that group by going to www.agentinvestor.com. Again, that's www.agentinvestor.com. 
um, just request, request access to that group. Um, thank you guys for jumping on today. I hope I gave you, you know, some stuff to think about. I, I definitely think um, it's worth considering investing in apartments, either passively or actively. And it all starts out with getting educated. The more you learn, the more you earn. I look forward to seeing you guys again next week. And, um, you know, again, thank you for everybody who jumped on today. Thanks again for listening to the Agent Investor Podcast. And especially thank you for sharing the show with other agents and reviewing the show on iTunes. Every time you share the show and leave a review, you are potentially changing someone's life. To get free weekly education, strategies, and to connect with other agent investors across the country, join our free Facebook group at agentinvestor.com. Again, that's agentinvestor.com.